0: chapter 20 of the first men in the moon this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this recording is by mark smith of simpsonville south carolina the first men in the moon by hg wells chapter 20 mr bedford in infinite space It was almost as though I had been killed. Indeed, I could imagine a man suddenly and violently killed would feel very much as I did. One moment, a passion of agonizing existence and fear. The next, darkness and stillness. Neither light nor life nor sun, moon nor stars, the blank infinite. Although the thing was done by my own act, although I had already tasted this very effect in cavor's company i felt astonished dumbfounded and overwhelmed i seemed to be borne upward into an enormous darkness my fingers floated off the studs i hung as if i were annihilated and at last very softly and gently i came against the bale and the golden chain and the crowbars that had drifted to the middle of the sphere i do not know how long that drifting took in the sphere, of course, even more than on the moon, one's earthly time-sense was ineffectual. At the touch of the bale it was as if I had awakened from a dreamless sleep. I immediately perceived that if I wanted to keep awake and alive I must get a light, or open a window, so as to get a grip of something with my eyes. And besides, I was cold. I kicked off from the bale, therefore clawed on to the thin cords within the glass crawled along until i got to the manhole rim and so got my bearings for the light and blind studs took a shove off and flying once round the bale and getting a scare from something big and flimsy that was drifting loose i got my hand on the cord quite close to the studs and reached them i lit the little lamp first of all to see what it was i had collided with and discovered that old copy of Lloyd's News had slipped its moorings and was adrift in the void. That brought me out of the Infinite to my own proper dimensions again. It made me laugh and pant for a time, and suggested the idea of a little oxygen from one of the cylinders. After that I lit the heater until I felt warm, and then I took food. Then I set to work in a very gingerly fashion on the cavorite blinds to see if I could guess by any means how the sphere was traveling the first blind I opened I shut at once and hung for a time flattened and blinded by the sunlight that had hit me after thinking a little I started upon the windows at right angles to this one and got the huge crescent moon and the little crescent earth behind it the second time I was amazed to find how far I was from the moon I had reckoned that not only should I have little or none of the kick-off that the Earth's atmosphere had given us at our start, but that the tangential fly-off of the moon's spin would be at least twenty-eight times less than the Earth's. I had expected to discover myself hanging over our crater, and on the edge of the night, but all that was now only a part of the outline of the white crescent that filled the sky. And Cavour? he was already infinitesimal I tried to imagine what could have happened to him but at that time I could think of nothing but death I seemed to see him bent and smashed at the foot of some interminably high cascade of blue and all about him the stupid insects stared under the inspiring touch of the drifting newspaper I became practical again for a while It was quite clear to me that what I had to do was to get back to earth, but as far as I could see I was drifting away from it. Whatever had happened to Cavour, even if he was still alive, which seemed to me incredible after that blood-stained scrap, I was powerless to help him. There he was, living or dead, behind the mantle of that rayless night, and there he must remain at least until I could summon our fellow-men to his assistance should i do that something of the sort i had in my mind to come back to earth if it were possible and then as mature consideration might determine either to show and explain the sphere to a few discreet persons and act with them or else to keep my secret sell my gold obtain weapons provisions and an assistant and return with these advantages to deal on equal terms with the flimsy people of the moon to rescue cavor if that were still possible and at any rate to procure a sufficient supply of gold to place my subsequent proceedings on a firmer basis but that was hoping far i had first to get back i set myself to decide just exactly how the return to earth could be contrived as i struggled with that problem i ceased to worry about what i should do when i got there at last my only care was to get back i puzzled out at last that my best chance would be to drop back towards the moon as near as i dared in order to gather velocity then to shut my windows and fly behind it and when i was past to open my earthward windows and so get off at a good pace homeward but whether i should ever reach the earth by that device or whether i might not simply find myself spinning about it in some hyperbolic or parabolic curve or other i could not tell later i had a happy inspiration and by opening certain windows to the moon which had appeared in the sky in front of the earth i turned my course aside so as to head off the earth which it had become evident to me i must pass behind without some such expedient i did a very great deal of complicated thinking over these problems for I am no mathematician, and in the end I am certain it was much more my good luck than my reasoning that enabled me to hit the earth. Had I known then, as I know now, the mathematical chances there were against me, I doubt if I should have troubled even to touch the studs to make any attempt. And having puzzled out what I considered to be the thing to do, I opened all my moonward windows and squatted down the effort lifted me for a time some feet or so into the air and i hung there in the oddest way and waited for the crescent to get bigger and bigger until i felt i was near enough for safety then i would shut the windows fly past the moon with the velocity i had got from it if i did not smash upon it and so go on towards the earth and that is what i did. At last I felt my moonward start was sufficient. I shut out the sight of the moon from my eyes, and in a state of mind that was, I now recall, incredibly free from anxiety or any distressful quality, I sat down to begin a vigil in that little speck of matter in infinite space that would last until I should strike the earth. The heater had made the sphere tolerably warm, and the air had been refreshed by the oxygen. And except for that faint congestion of the head that was always with me while i was away from the earth i felt entire physical comfort i had extinguished the light again lest it should fail me in the end i was in darkness save for the earthshine and the glitter of the stars below me everything was so absolutely silent and still that i might indeed have been the only being in the universe and yet strangely enough I had no more feeling of loneliness or fear than if I had been lying in bed on earth. Now this seems all the stranger to me, since during my last hours in that crater of the moon, the sense of my utter loneliness had been an agony. Incredible as it will seem, this interval of time that I spent in space has no sort of proportion to any other interval of time in my life sometimes it seemed as though i sat through immeasurable eternities like some god upon a lotus leaf and again as though there was a momentary pause as i leaped from moon to earth in truth it was altogether some weeks of earthly time but i had done with care and anxiety hunger or fear for that space i floated thinking with a strange breadth and freedom of all that we had undergone and of all my life and motives, and the secret issues of my being, I seemed to myself to have grown greater and greater, to have lost all sense of movement, to be floating amidst the stars, and always the sense of earth's littleness and the infinite littleness of my life upon it was implicit in my thoughts. I can't profess to explain the things that happened in my mind, NO DOUBT THEY COULD ALL BE TRACED DIRECTLY OR INDIRECTLY TO THE CURIOUS PHYSICAL CONDITIONS UNDER WHICH I WAS LIVING. I SET THEM DOWN HERE JUST FOR WHAT THEY ARE WORTH, AND WITHOUT ANY COMMENT. THE MOST PROMINENT QUALITY OF IT WAS A PERVADING DOUBT OF MY OWN IDENTITY. I BECAME, IF I MAY SO EXPRESS IT, DISSOCIATE FROM BEDFORD. I LOOKED DOWN ON BEDFORD AS A TRIVIAL, INCIDENTAL THING WITH WHICH I CHANCED TO BE CONNECTED. I saw Bedford in many relations, as an ass, or as a poor beast, where I had hitherto been inclined to regard him with a quiet pride, as a very spirited or rather forcible person. I saw him not only as an ass, but as the son of many generations of asses. I reviewed his school days, and his early manhood, and his first encounter with love, very much as one might review the proceedings of an ant in the sand something of that period of lucidity i regret still hangs about me and i doubt if i shall ever recover the full-bodied self-satisfaction of my early days but at the time the thing was not in the least painful because i had that extraordinary persuasion that as a matter of fact i was no more bedford than i was anyone else but only a mind floating in the still serenity of space. Why should I be disturbed about this Bedford's shortcomings? I was not responsible for him or them. For a time I struggled against this really very grotesque delusion. I tried to summon the memory of vivid moments, of tender or intense emotions to my assistance. I felt that if I could recall one genuine twinge of feeling the growing severance would be stopped. But I could not do it. I saw Bedford rushing down Chancery Lane, hat on the back of his head, coattails flying out, en route for his public examination. I saw him dodging and bumping against, and even saluting, other similar little creatures in that swarming gutter of people. Me. I saw Bedford that same evening in the sitting room of a certain lady, and his hat was on the table beside him, and it wanted brushing badly, and he was in tears. Me? I saw him with that lady in various attitudes and emotions. I never felt so detached before. I saw him hurrying off to Limpney to write a play, and accosting Cavour, and in his shirt sleeves working at the sphere. walking out to canterbury because he was afraid to come me i did not believe it i still reasoned that all this was hallucination due to my solitude and the fact that i had lost all weight and sense of resistance i endeavored to recover that sense by banging myself about the sphere by pinching my hands and clasping them together among other things i lit the light captured that torn copy of Lloyd's, and read those convincingly realistic advertisements about the cutaway bicycle, and the gentleman of private means, and the lady in distress who was selling those forks and spoons. There was no doubt they existed, surely enough, and, said I, this is your world, and you are Bedford, and you are going back to live among things like that for all the rest of your life. But the doubts within me could still argue it is not you that is reading it is bedford but you are not bedford you know that's just where the mistake comes in confound it i cried and if i am not bedford what am i but in that direction no light was forthcoming though the strangest fancies came drifting into my brain queer remote suspicions like shadows seen from far away. Do you know, I had a sort of idea that really I was something quite outside not only the world, but all worlds, and out of space and time, and that this poor Bedford was just a peephole through which I looked at life. Bedford! However I disavowed him, there I was most certainly bound up with him. AND I KNEW THAT WHEREVER OR WHATEVER I MIGHT BE, I MUST NEEDS FEEL THE STRESS OF HIS DESIRES, AND SYMPATHIZE WITH ALL HIS JOYS AND SORROWS UNTIL HIS LIFE SHOULD END. AND WITH THE DYING OF BEDFORD, WHAT THEN? ENOUGH OF THIS REMARKABLE PHASE OF MY EXPERIENCES i tell it here simply to show how one's isolation and departure from this planet touched not only the functions and feeling of every organ of the body but indeed also the very fabric of the mind with strange and unanticipated disturbances all through the major portion of that vast space journey i hung thinking of such immaterial things as these hung dissociated and apathetic a cloudy megalomaniac as it were AMIDST THE STARS AND PLANETS IN THE VOID OF SPACE, AND NOT ONLY THE WORLD TO WHICH I WAS RETURNING, BUT THE BLUE-LIT CAVERNS OF THE SELENITES, THEIR HELMET-FACES, THEIR GIGANTIC AND WONDERFUL MACHINES, AND THE FATE OF CAVOR, DRAGGED HELPLESS INTO THAT WORLD, SEEMED INFINITELY MINUTE AND ALTOGETHER TRIVIAL THINGS TO ME. UNTIL AT LAST I BEGAN TO FEEL THE PULL OF THE EARTH UPON MY BEING, drawing me back again to the life that is real for men. And then, indeed, it grew clearer and clearer to me that I was quite certainly Bedford after all, and returning after amazing adventures to this world of ours, and with a life that I was very likely to lose in this return, I set myself to puzzle out the conditions under which I must fall to earth. End of chapter